I was lost, but now I am found. Praise I the Lord. I was blind, but now I see. I think my my ears are too high. Can you turn my ears down? Oh yeah. Even more. Hello, and uh, now it's off. <laughs> and welcome to Plants and Bipeds. That's better. <laughs> yeah. We're having technical You can also like you can always touch the blue thing. That's you. Oh. And if you touch this box, nothing happens on the recording. So play around with it as much as you want. Oh, it's magic. Your armor is teaching me how to touch this box. Like. <laughs> I don't apologize. <laughs> it's late and I have no apologies. I refuse to apologize. <laughs> Tomorrow is a free day. It's the day of German unity, which is very exciting as unified Germans. Yeah. Um Yeah, it's all it's it's something um I recently had to it's it's a it's not a great discovery, but I got aware of the passing of time how things are Change, different but stay the now same. from what they will be in the future. Yeah. Um, because I just thought, thought about like I live next to the big airport in Berlin and it's supposed to be closed down for like five years now but now there is a double confirmed date next year that it will close down for me it, it was no. this, this exciting idea that like my son will grow up not really knowing that there were airplanes there while for me it was constantly present that there are, are airplanes coming down mm. um like at high times every i think 90 seconds there's one coming down um so i just realized like what like, does the double confirm mean though that like they announced it and then they confirmed it and then there were some problems and they st still confirmed that the problems will not stop them from closing the airport and opening the new one um that's what I mean by double confirm. Like usually us. like they had like this very weak announcement where like, yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure it will be like in two years it will open. So certainly. But now the date is approaching and every time they talk about it, they can just confirm it and they have like It just means they're getting more misguided in their confidence. It could also be that. Like I I, I believe it when it's done, but so far the signs point towards it being true apart from like what happened I, I want to fill in like for the non-German listener seven years ago when I came to Germany they said just be careful because you'll probably fly into the new airport because your ticket won't go into the old airport so Germany has this complex history where um, it was kind of split into two different countries there was east and the west mm. um, and because I maybe I already ate half of that one <laughs> No, no, it's a cucumber. There was a cucumber slice in the sweets package. And I grabbed it and was like, why is that sweet, wet and green and like a cucumber? It's healthy. I'm trying to like switch out your gummy bertrand no, for it's like... It's all good. <laughs> Here, anyway, Yoram, have some greens. So um, Germany was divided. Germany was divided. And because of that, they didn't have a big central airport. They had like one West German airport and one East German no, airport. Berlin. Like there were... Ber Berlin, sorry, had two. Germany was also divided, but Berlin was divided and it had the two airports. Um, and... At least, yeah, so at least seven years ago, they planned to open Berlin-Brandenburg, which would be the big airport, which would, the, the small ones would close down and it would become like a huge international airport. And right now it's kind of a pain in the butt because you have to fly in through Frankfurt still because Berlin is kind of a shitty airport still. Yeah. Um, but this has just been like delays and corruption and inability to understand that it's not okay to have people standing shouting fire instead of having like a real fire hose system like all of this like people losing plans people getting paid money to not do their job just so that they can try and find somebody who actually will do the job 
Yeah, um, there was incompeten incompetency on every level. On really. every level. From like sub, 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 subcontractors up to the like direct managing board. And like, now like if you listen to anything that's supposed to be German and funny for more than 10 minutes, somebody will reference the airport. Like, and everybody's like, <laughs> Yeah, airport. I guess Yoram's coming to the podcast. He's late. I guess he'll come before the airport. And then like this like laugh track and, going on. Yeah. <laughs> that's basically... <laughs> It's that's true. it that's the state but, of German comedy and German airports right but, now but my point being was like I realized that with with just a stupid thing like the airport that for me it's a thing that was just always present and for my son it's something that he can only read about and won't experience and then I remember hey there was something bigger in Germany than just one airport it was like Germany's division and my parents grew up in a time when there were like two Germanys and I grew up in a time where there was just one Germany and for me it's such a thing to take for granted um, but it's very recent and it was just like it's a very basic discovery but still for me it was exciting to to make that full process of figuring out oh time passes things change my child will have different experiences mm -hmm. than I will have um, what's, I mean, honestly, what's really nice is that, like, this is kind of Germany's national day. So, like, most countries have kind of a, a day and this is Germany's and it's about the country stop, like, becoming one country again after being divided for a long time. And the division was hard. There's people from different families who couldn't visit each other because suddenly some of them are in East Germany and there's a wall and they can't cross and the other in West. So, there's no easy possibility for them to, like, move amongst families and friends. Yeah. Um, different quality of life on different sides of the border or different expectations, different policies. People different killed at the border. Yeah. So not ideal. The reunification was like, I would say objectively a pretty good thing. Um, this is in contrast to other countries. So my national day is celebrated on the day when the Europeans came to Australia, which unsurprisingly, not a great day for the indigenous people. So for them, it's invasion day. I mean, objectively, it is Invasion Day, like not just for them, but for everyone. And this is our national day. Um, just a couple of days ago, actually yesterday now, um, but it'll be a few weeks ago by the time this comes out, was the, the Chinese National Day. Mm -hmm. um, but this is also the, the day of the Chinese Communist Party. So there's like this fairly strong link between the National Day and the current politics, which is also tricky because you might believe in the country, but not necessarily support its current politics. Um, so yeah. we can have like, obviously right now there's really big problems um, with the way China is dealing with Hong Kong. There's a lot of riots in Hong Kong. So I saw a video yesterday showing the the show of um, celebrations and show of military force that was associated with Chinese National Day in China. And there was video was split in half. And on the other side, you see the protesters and the, the violence that's happening with the police now, which is now becoming, I mean, it's been going on for a couple of months now, the protests, and it's getting to the stage where... They shoot live rounds at demonstrators now. Yeah, it's it's now becoming very... like I mean, it was never ideal, but it's becoming more and more violent. Yeah. Um, so it's also a nice thing. I mean, it's terrible, the, the situation now in Hong Kong and how that's going to play out. I, I can't see an easy way. But it's nice in Germany that your national day is celebrating something that's not related to something that can be hard for... It doesn't alienate certain people or it doesn't like... Yeah. Make, you don't have to believe in Angela Merkel in order to believe, like, to, to celebrate. Yeah. It's a very like, inclusive way yeah. of celebrating. Yeah, and whereas with our one, we have to exclude the Aboriginal people from our, our dialogue if we want to celebrate Australia Day on that day. We could have it on a different day, change the date, hashtag change the date, guys, get 
get the fuck behind an Australian. But like, I mean, yeah. like, yes, this is like exclusive, deliberately of a certain people. But I don't think I don't think I quite like about Germany that like that we lack some sort of nationalism. I mean. We have definitely problems nowadays with nationalism and racism back on the rise, but like we don't, we lack certain types of institutionalized nationalism that you have in other countries. And I'm fairly happy yeah. that we don't have military parades. Like in France, they have big parades mm. um, showing military military force. Um, I mean, China obviously also just did that. Um, they had like salute uh, shots being fired on Tiananmen Square, which also is really weird giving the history um and we don't have that like we don't mm -hmm. drive with tanks through berlin to celebrate our great country mm. we rather celebrate that we overcame this massive division in the country and yeah i i'm the first one to criticize germany for many things but this is one of the things that i he like. really is guys like yeah like, really he is <laughs> yeah. it's a little bit concerning sometimes it's like <laughs> I mean, there's so many. I mean, you're you're also the first one to criticize stuff going wrong in Australia, and I think yeah, I think it's but, important. Like, to I'm be in Germany, so I could like I left Australia. No, yeah. I mean, I love Australia still. Um, lots of great things, but sure. But yeah, but I think it's important to acknowledge issues when there are some. But the and if anybody ever tells you their country is the best country in the world, you need to have a serious talk to them because there's yeah. something like yeah, no country is the best country in the world. Um, so probably Poland. Mm. no they've got no. really bad politics right now it's really no. horrible no uh. i wouldn't want to be like a gay person in poland no right not now. at all i think canada's quite nice kind of cold though a yeah a lot of raccoons those those bastards are sneaky I, I don't want to go into details now about like <laughs> listing bad things about other countries um but uh, I, think I went to latvia nice once and it was very pleasant i think all countries have their issues and it's important for each country to acknowledge their issues while also celebrating the things that are genu genuinely good. Mm. And I think the lack of system-wide nationalism in Germany is in certain in certain borders, like there's some some limits to that. But overall, compared to other countries, this is something I quite like. We talked about the flags in a different episode mm. before. This is something I quite like. I mean, I there's still a lot of institutionalized racism and so on. Don't get me wrong, but. Like we don't have days where we celebrate Germany being the biggest, the, the, the greatest country in the world. This is just mm. not something that we do, and this is something that I like. Yeah, and even tomorrow, I I don't expect to see it all being a flag parade. Like I don't. Yeah. This is not. This is something I see again with the sport, with the football, but it's not like. Yeah. And it's actually quite emotional. Like a few years ago, there was I think twenty fifth anniversary, um, of the of the the wall coming down. And I used to live on one of the like um, bridges that was um, a border bridge between the west and the mm. east, um, where there were like um, checkpoints and so on, and there were some exchanges of people happening during the um, time of division. And this was one of the first points that got opened when the wall mm -hmm. came down. And so I was there, and um, there were people from like both sides that lived there for like twenty, thirty years or more um, that have lived through this opening. And being there while well, seeing all these people like literally in tears from remem remembering the day when they suddenly could cross that bridge that was always locked off by soldiers, um, that was quite intense. That was quite nice. Um, and so, yeah, it's 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 a good day to celebrate. Yeah, we went to the, they had a big um, kind of public party in front of the, the Brandenburger tour for the 25 yeah. year anniversary. Yeah. And they had Gorby there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did, they have, the did they have the Hof? 
I don't think so. Probably they had Bonnie Tyler. I can't actually remember now. Um, uh, you have Bonnie Tyler whenever you set up a stage in the street. You have Bonnie Tyler in Germany. Yeah, she, like she's the spirit which animal of Berlin, which is correct. Is <laughs> how it should be. She should sp- sing, sing like turn around at least twice a year and always for free as well. I love that. Like that you have free access. This is this is why Germany is the best. Like if anybody ever says my country is the best country in the world, you say you know what. In Berlin, you have free access to Bonnie Tyler Turnaround, Total Eclipse of the Heart, at least once a year, Lydia, mandatory I, 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 once a year. You tell me that your country has that, otherwise, fuck off, you're wrong. Like, Germany is objective. Germany is the greatest country because, because we have Bonnie, Bonnie Tyler is a living legend, and I mean, really... Um, some context that this is this song is kind of the the theme song of Yarm's PhD time. Um, Actually, not, not mine. Like uh, from a friend of ours. One of our very close friends. Um, like yeah, I think we mentioned this before on the podcast. Yeah, yeah right? together yeah. we were always singing this in the lab when we had like. It doesn't even matter if we had bad days or good days. Like whenever that song came up, we were just singing. And it. at parties, and I mean, so then Yoram and I made a um, a version of the song singing about her thesis because I mean that's what nerds do. We can't help ourselves. Um, yeah. And we acted it out in the in the lab, which was just. I mean, you know, like when it look when you look back on my PhD, these are some of the best times, right? Yeah. There's like bullshit of like being there at like eight o'clock at night because we're trying to film like a Bonnie Tyler ripoff based on like. Without anybody knowing. Photo respiration of Rubisco. And there was like a lot of lemons involved for props. And then the next morning, like one of the technicians at our work was just like holding a lemon and looking really confused. (laughs) And like, oh, it was like sitting in a corridor (laughs) under some trolley and we missed it. Because (laughs) of of course we were throwing around lemons because why not? And then we missed one. (laughs) Yeah. And you're just like, this is this poor lady, like, what the, what the hell? And we're just like, like, I mean, she couldn't make sense of it at all. And it was like, I think she's too this day she must be wondering like why, why I think was she there has, a like, lemon this, this um, massive beautiful mind at her house like with a lemon in the center <laughs> like he's like wires going everywhere like, like a red thread connecting different things and she has like wild theories and she was there and you and you and you but this and it was the 4th of March and yeah, yeah anyway so this was one of our greatest things it was the done. best of times it was the worst of times uh, let's jump into the first paper it's the paper first and only paper i have to say yeah and it's actually your turn this it's time the paper of the week yeah it's actually my turn um unlike last week where i said it was my turn it wasn't my turn it's now actually my turn well done um so before we talk about the actual paper i want to talk a little bit of, uh, in general about um research that we do but like knockouts i wrote like knockouts are like super important for research literally do you want to uh, explain what a knockout is or just like yeah, leave it there so, so knockouts are um Gene knockouts is when you knock out a gene and destroy its function. Do you know so the rule that when you define something, you can't use the word to define the word? Like a tortoise is like a tortoise-like animal that kind of looks like a tortoise. That's the rule. <laughs> so you have a gene that makes a product and then you do something that it can't make the product anymore. This is a knockout. Um, and then there's also a knockdown where this it can't make all of the product that it did before. It can only make some of the product. So let's As say much like of it, yeah. 10%, 20% of the product is still made, but 80, 90% is lost. And can't of the amount of the product, yeah. That's a, that's a knockdown. Um, and there are different ways to create knockout, knockouts. So can you name knockout methods? Um, you put a big freaking tDNA inside. So this is you use like agrobacterium. Um, it's a natural thing that infects plants. I think we talked about this last or two weeks two, ago two now weeks ago. with your arms paper on the peanuts. And its its method of infecting is basically to take some of its DNA and shove it into the plant genome. And in a random location? Random location. 
And then um, there's been some researchers who did that like thousands of times uh, in like individual lines and then they mapped where that went and then they made a big catalog and now you can just order. You can like you said, buy like, a knockout like this. I want tDNA in this location where my gene is knocked down. Yeah, and then you get it ordered and then you have a knockout for that particular gene. Um, then there's other ways. Uh, so like mutations. So there's different ways where you can basically damage the DNA, um, usually using like basically carcinogens. So there's things like UV or chemicals like EMS we've mentioned on the blog before, which deliberately change DNA. They break it or they, yeah. I mean, some things actually cut the DNA, like shear it, like snip through it. And other ones just change one base pair into another base pair, which might again, like stop the gene from functioning. Yeah. Um, then there's uh, other things that can create these indels. This is just um, insertions or deletions in genes mm -hmm. um, where small amounts of base, small numbers of bases are inserted or lost from a gene that breaks its function. And then for the knockdowns, there's also uh, something um, that's called uh, mRNA silencing. Mm -hmm. Is it the RNA silencing? RNAi. Yeah, RNAi, RNA interference or silencing where you have uh, a gene is usually made into an mRNA, a messenger RNA that's then tra later translated into protein. And you can make a second RNA that's complementary to the mRNA. Mm. It binds to it and then some processes in the cell are triggered to degrade that RNA and so it can't be made into a protein. Mm -hmm. And this is usually a knockdown because this is not 100% efficient. So when you do that, you get something between like sometimes only a, a small reduction in mRNA depending mm. on how abundant it is. Like there's lots of factors. It's RNA not, is kind of a pain in the butt. Like yeah. it's, you don't know how much knockdown you're going to get and then it can change over time depending on many things. So I, yeah, meh. But it's also good because some genes, you can't knock them out because if you knock them out, the plant dies. So they're essential. They're required for the plant to grow. So then the only way to find out the function or one of the, the ways is to like knock them down instead of knocking them out. Yeah. Um, and all of the methods that I mentioned now here, they happen in the entire plant. Apart from the RNA silencing, which we talk about in a second. <laughs> Tegan hit now another, a whole cucumber in the candy box. Oh, so I feel like, like like in the videos where you put a cucumber behind a cat and then it gets oh, scared. Yeah. Um, I, Do you I think, think that's I'm animal cruelty? This. No. Right? <laughs> but back to the knockouts. <laughs> so um, all of the... It's good that we agree. The, the knockouts that are based on, on disrupting a gene on a DNA level, these happen in the entire plant. So if you knock out a gene that's related mm -hmm. to flowering, it's also knocked out in a root tissue. Mm. Um, it's in the, in the leaves everywhere. Um, and that can sometimes be problematic because these genes might be essential. And if you, want, if you are interested in something that only happens in, in the flowers or let's say only in the roots and you knock it and it's essential for other parts as well, then um, your whole plant might suffer. It might die. Instead might of finding out seeds. the function, you've accidentally just killed the plant. Yeah, you have lots of secondary effects that are happening. Um, uh, something that people use to get around this is then using um, uh, RNA silencing that you can uh, target somewhat by putting the, the interfering RNA under the control of a promoter. Mm -hmm. And that promoter is only active in certain areas. Mm -hmm. So then you um, say, okay, only in the roots this RNA um, interference is made and then only in the roots you have a knockdown. But then you have a knockdown, you don't have a complete knockout, which again gives problems if you really want to, if you need a clean system where you don't have anything. And any this can gene. be used by like just using a promoter of a gene that's 
already known to only be expressed in the roots. So then you just yep. like steal that guy's promoter and then whatever your your RNAi is now only expressed in the roots. But there's also some other promoters, some of them which are natural, but most of them I think which have been artificially designed where they're also responsive. So there's promoters which when you give the plants some ethanol or you like you um, yeah. volatilize ethanol, like breathe your alcohol gin breath on the plants, only then does the promoter become active and then you start expressing the thing. Yeah. Um, and not not only ethanol, it can also be like other chemicals or yeah. or heat or things like that. Yeah, these are called the inducible promoters mm-hmm. um, as uh, in contrast to constitutive promoters that are permanent, permanently on. And um, then there is many sort of different promoters in there, like s- promoters that are only active during certain time periods, only when the light is on. or tissue specific or... Yeah. Um, so promoters are great at de- deciding when a gene is uh, transcribed in a certain at a certain time or a certain location. And we also have a nice um, blog post about bidirectional promoters, where we talk about promoters and how they're pretty much like lightsabers. So go and check that <laughs> out. <laughs> pretty much exactly the same thing. It's one of my favorite figures that I drew. Um, that you drew. <laughs> You, we came up with it together or something. Thank you. It was a group effort. I mean, it obviously a, you actually did the drawing. Everything we do is a group no, effort. Oh, that's but it nice. Was the most, it was the most fun to like actually put this into like a picture. Like, because I usually I have like templates that I base my drawings on. But for mm. the lightsabers, I just went like back to my like <laughs> elementary school days when I would just like draw drawing lightsabers lightsaber. and Star Wars stuff. And I was like, oh, I remember this. I mean, like little like... Designed my own lightsabers that are looking like promoters. Not to be a dick, but I do believe that when I first wrote the post, your first comment on the draft was like, why are you mentioning lightsabers? This never comes up in the rest of the article. This is stupid. You should remove it. It was confusing (laughs) at first, first, but then I saw how wrong I was. Sometimes you don't see my vision, Yoram. Sometimes there's a vision. You saw it and you did better things with the vision than I ever could have done. All right. Sorry. Promoters. Um... So now, like, yeah, we can we can make knockouts, but they are everywhere in the plant. Or we can make knockdowns that we can target specifically with promoters. And with promoters, we can g- get very high precision in like place and time. Mm-hmm. Um, but wouldn't it be great if we could combine the two? If we could get a clean knockout, hundred um, percent knockout of a loss of function of a gene, but only at a certain time or in a certain place or like under the control of a certain promoter. It would be great, but now I don't believe anything you're going to say from this point on. <laughs> like It's like an infomercial now. <laughs> but wait, there's more. Um, with the new CRISPR TSKO... Oh my God, uh, steak knives, steak knives, steak knives. It's a technique for efficient mutagenesis in specific cell types, tissues, or organs. In I call bullshit. Um, <laughs> it's a paper... <laughs> Apparently a bullshit paper no, from researchers. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, researchers. I'm sure your work is lovely. <laughs> it's from the lab of Thomas Jacobs and um, the first author is uh, Vard de Kesteke, um from the That was definitely said wrong. Belgium from Ghent. Mm-hmm. Um at the Vib? Um at the uh, Uni- Ghent University, mm-hmm. Department of Plant Biotech and Bioinformatics. Um and yeah, so the TSKO stands for. No, I thought I knew TSKO. KO is knockout for sure. Yeah. TS. It's actually pretty easy. Yeah. What well, TS is. I think it's also in the. The super knockout. <laughs> the super knockout. Uh, no, it's tissue specific knockout. Knockout. Okay. Um, so. You didn't write it down because, like, past Yarm was like, future Yarm will, of course, remember this. <laughs> yes. And then future Yarm had had some gin and wasn't really sure. 
um, so what they um, did first they they did a proof of concept they took um, so first of all the idea isn't uh, completely new uh, it's new to the plant field but in animals it has been done already in zebrafish that people put CRISPR under the control of um, a promoter and then the CRISPR was only expressed at a certain location and then could only knock out a gene in a specific location <laughs> <laughs> I'm not commenting on what just happened. Um, you have to use your imagination, people. Um, so, the first thing they did is um, uh, they did a proof of concept. They put um, a GFP. They they took a plant expressing GFP everywhere in in the tissue. Mm -hmm. um, then they made a CRISPR targeting the GFP mm -hmm. um, and put the CRISPR the, the Cas9 uh, no. The, the Cas9 or the sgRNA, I think the Cas9 was put under the control of a promoter um, uh, that was ex um, just expressed in the root caps, and then they could. And there was also a Gas reporter gene, a second reporter gene. Um, what happens if you have a CRISPR Cas9 without its single guide RNA? It just doesn't cut anything, right? Yeah, it doesn't cut anything. Okay. Like the Cas9 can't um, randomly cut without the guide RNA. Okay, it really needs to be like locked. It's not going to like cut randomly. It's really yeah. just not going to cut. Yeah. Okay. Um, so actually, it might be then the the sgRNAs that were under control. Wait, can I? I don't think I can find this quickly now. It so let's just like yeah, it doesn't matter. One or both of them are under the control of the tissue specific. And they put it on a on a root cap. Um, promoter that's only expressed in this this very narrow tissue domain uh, area just in the root caps and i could see that they lost the fluorescence so the gfp that was is made everywhere in the plant it's just not made in the root caps because there there's a crispr cas9 system that's knocking down the, the, mm -hmm. the knocking out the gfp gene and therefore it can't be made in the root cap cells okay um and the cool thing about this is that this is a stable system. Um, there are other ways to have like tissue-specific knockouts, especially with gene silencing, with like, for example, a virus-induced knockout system where you sp um, spray, like uh, inject leaves with a virus and then it knocks mm. out the thing in the leaf. But then if you make seeds from that plant, the next plant is again the, the parent plant without any knockout effect. Mm -hmm. um, but with this, is this, this is stable. So all the descendants of this plants don't have GFP in their root caps. Mm -hmm. um, okay, it's inherited. It's inherited, uh -huh. and it's also uh, f they. I think they tested three or four generations down. It's um, still working. Yeah. Um, so just as a reminder, all of the cells in the plants, including the reproductive tissue, have the the CRISPR and the the single guide, but it's actually only getting expressed in the root yeah. cap. So that's how it's getting passed on to the next generation. And it changes the DNA, but it changes the DNA in somatic tissue. So the changes in the DNA in the root caps are not transmitted into the next generation mm -hmm. um, as opposed to just knocking out the, the, the gene and then it ha enters the germline and then you transfer the actual knockout. You transfer the ability to knock it out mm -hmm. and then it's only when uh, in, the, in the somatic tissue, in the non-germline tissue, then it actually knocks it out, mm. um, which is quite, quite cool and quite uh, elegant there. It's interesting when you think about stuff that we talked about also with the agrobacterium paper in the past when you have spontaneous regenerations. If you you could imagine now a root piece that has the knockout that regenerates into a new plant and then the entire plant again would have the knockout. No, uh, I think when the, the cells redifferentiated, they would like then turn off the roots of all cell-specific promoters in the non-root tissue once that root tissue redifferentiated into other types of tissue. 
if you get yeah. a bit of root and it regrows into a whole plant. Yeah. I think once that, those bits became leaves, it would be like, okay, now we turn this off and then they wouldn't have the... Yeah, unless they the initial cell that that um, regenerates has already the mutation in it, like mm. the knockout. But it's it's depending on where you use the system, it's more or less likely. In the root caps, very unlikely because the root caps uh, are such a narrow domain. I think they don't really regenerate, can regenerate. But if you would imagine in the future, you would use that on like all of the roots mm. and roots can regenerate into new plants, then the knockout wouldn't be reversed. I have a question. So this is based on GFP. Are they just looking at fluorescence or are they also looking at like the actual transcript level and the protein amount of the GFP? I think in the first screening, they just looked at the fluorescence, but then also um, sequenced the arrays and could see indels in the GFP gene. So they did not only see sort of a loss of the protein, mm. they also then saw that the gene was disrupted. Do they right? have the sequencing, like the chromatograms there? <sighs> I don't need to see them. I'm just curious. I don't know. Like the paper is one of these preprint formats where the figures are at the end. So it was very annoying to read it. So I <laughs> and I'm lazy and my scrolling fingers hurt. No, it's fine. Um, I'm just curious. Um, uh, yeah, carry they, on, please carry on, sir. Um, yeah, they just looked at the yeah the fluorescence level, how it how it got lost. Yeah. There. Um, so then they continued, um, and the rest of the paper is um, pretty um, straightforward. So I wrote down they put the M sherry on top. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I, I, I hoped you hated me for more for this. <laughs> I do. M sherry is another fluorescence. I could vomit at will, I would. <laughs> There's another fluorescence protein. Guess um, what color it is, guys? It's red. <laughs> yeah. um, and they set up an easy cloning system. There's a you couple. You know what else is red? M ruby and M garnet. Also red. <laughs> <laughs> um, they. DS red is also red. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for a listing of red dyes and fluorescent <laughs> markers. Um, so they set up then an easy cloning system. There are nowadays uh, systems where you sort of um, ha have one-step reactions where you can construct an entire plasmid, which is before was like weeks and weeks of cloning work, can now be uh, very efficiently done in, in very few steps. And they set this up, their, their system as well, that you can clone your promoter of choice very easily in front of up to 12 single guide RNAs. Mm -hmm. So you can have... Um, up to 12 target locations in the genome under the control of tissue-specific promoters. Um, and then they started using some other um, um, cellular systems that are not reporter genes to show um, uh, as, a, as another proof that their system works. Um, and there is one thing that I wanted to point out here. Um, I, see, I see a word. Yoda. Yoda yeah, Yoda. Um, which is a gene that's a mitogen-activated protein kinase, kinase, kinase. Oh, my God. I hoped it was a typo in the paper. I don't know uh, if it's... It's not. It's it phosphorylates a protein kinase. Kinase. Yeah. <laughs> so a <laughs> It phosphorylates something that phosphorylates a protein kinase. Yeah. Um, and it's something that's involved in um, stomata um, function. And a knockout, a complete knockout of this gene is first of all lethal, or, uh, yeah, lethal to the plant. Mm -hmm. Few plants survived the knockout, but then they are infertile, they're, they're small, and they suffer a lot. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the phenotypes that you see is that the stomata, they cluster under the leaves, on, on the leaf surface. They, mm -hmm. don't, they are not spread out. They cluster in certain areas. And now they targeted this gene and knocked it out just in the stomata. So they took a promoter that's only act active in the stomata mm -hmm. and put it uh, put the CRISPR system under the control of this uh, promoter. And then they could see 
the phenotype of the clustering of the stomata, but the rest of the plant was happy. Mm-hmm. So this gives this, this just shows um, how powerful something like this is because you you keep the important phenotype that's related to the gene function, but you lose a lot of the secondary effects mm. that are that are sort of blocking your view. First of all, it makes work easier because you have a stable line that can make seeds mm. and you can propagate much more easily. But also um, it's much easier to now actually figure out the mechanism because before you didn't, whatever you observed, you couldn't be sure, is this now because the entire plant is suffering or is this because of this stomata-related um, function? Yeah. Um, yeah, and they, they had a couple more examples here that I don't want to go into detail. Um, but overall, it seems to be like a working system. It's pretty cool. Um, and just like an, another... For me, this is one of the cool things about the whole CRISPR system because now all these creative minds get on it and they don't just use it for the, the first or most basic approach, but they build stuff on top. So just with the mm. PCR, we were able then to do sequencing and more complicated stuff mm. with PCR. Now with CRISPR, we can do now really targeted knockouts in just specific tissues under specific conditions. Something that, yeah, I, I wish I could have used during my time. Like, like I, I worked with photosynthesis genes and knockouts there were always extremely difficult. They would fuck up Slowly everything growing, there. Yeah. Um, and if I could then say, like, I'm just looking at certain leaf age, for example, only after a certain age, the knockout is, is turned on. That could mm. could have been a valuable tool. Um, yeah, I mean, there's this idea that, like, okay, there's a few discoveries that big give big leaps, but a lot of the big leaps come from technology, not from, like, information, but from, like, now we can do this machines or or yeah. methods and this is what makes the this the whole of science move forward and as you said yeah. be creative and gets the next step yeah so yeah i'm a bit like so i think the only problem for me is that crispr cas is not like always 100 percent efficient right so yeah um they say that it's i don't know what the name of the title the title of the paper was but it was very like this is amazing it does sound amazing Efficient mutagenesis in specific cell types, tissues, or organs. In so I think it depends a bit on your your guide RNA, and yeah. Um, I also don't know if there's any information about like how the CRISPR Cas is effective in different tissues, depending on like, like definitely other things involved. But I I don't know. They um, also they said even in their like proof of concept with the GFP, they had eleven lines that they put the G, the the CRISPR system in with the promoter. Mm-hmm. And in six of them, they could see an effect. And in the other five, they saw little to no effect. So there's definitely a f- still a factor there that sometimes it's not yeah. activated properly. And or it if- comes in too late and the cells are already expressing GFP. Yeah. Like, yeah. So it's not, it's not perfect yet, um, definitely. And they also go into some of the issues that they have there. So okay. we still can't just at will uh, turn genes on and off. But we're a step closer now, mm. at least for knockouts. Yeah, cool. And I th- I thought then of like stuff that you can make this, uh, like it would be cool to also turn on genes. And then I thought like maybe you can then build like on top of that um, uh, transcription factors that you control that are usually repressing the tra- the, mm-hmm. the expression of a gene. And then you knock out the transcription factor and suddenly your gene gets made and then you mm-hmm. can s- start making um, certain products only in specific organs and so on. Um, so I guess we will see much more of this coming. Um, yeah. So that's my paper. Cool. Shorter. Very nice. But yeah. Uh, Let me switch software because now... 
time. Oh, it's me. Yeah, this is this, it's you. Do I have to smell something again? <laughs> no. favorite plant. Oh, it quite nice. So I have this feeling that I've done this before, but then I looked through the archives and I don't think I have. So I think I just was really excited and I explained it to a lot of people. So, um, yeah, I went to a, a conference at the start of September in Lille in France. Um, it was a conference about um, endocytobiology. So it was like endosymbionts and basically the the evolution of the mitochondria and the chloroplasts, which both came from endosymbionts, but also other species which act as endosymbionts and things mm -hmm. like the transfer of the endosymbiont into the host, all of these kind of things. Um, it was a really cool um, conference and it was especially interesting because the the themes were much wider than what I'm used to. So um, there was a lot of people talking about these species that I really never heard of. Um, or, I mean, so we normally talk about anything containing a chloroplast that came from a single the primary endosymbiotic event of the chloroplast so it's like green algae or plants but um then these these algae which took up uh, an endosymbiosis an endosymbiont sorry were then themselves further taken up so there's like all of these mm. organisms that come from secondary endosymbiosis um which follows like the red algae lineage and all of these guys i have no idea about and then there's also other species which contain plastids but they're now plastids in a um really reduced form. So there's like apicoplexins, apicoplexins, um, which have apicoplasts. Mm -hmm. And these are like parasitic. So like um, malaria, the diseases that call, cause malaria that is in mosquitoes, this organism has got this apicoplast, which is basically a really reduced plastid. So the ultimate origin is something that's very similar to what we see in plants, but it's like also now an organism that doesn't seem anything like a plant, except that it has this kind of plastid like genome um and mm. it's got this apicoplast or plastid chloroplast like thing which obviously doesn't photosynthesize but it does do some important metabolic things to keep the the bug alive yeah so that was really cool um really nice conference really interesting um and i learned about a new species which is not a plant technically but it's a cyanobacteria so it's the progenitor um this single celled guy which is basically the lineage from which chloroplasts originated. And this guy in particular is what the current um, scientific audience thinks is kind of the closest living thing we have to the current ancestor of mm. plastids we see in plants. So it's called Gloio margarita lithophora. Um, Gloio margarita, I actually think I have the, the definition. It means glutinous carrier of stones. And this is because when you look at it, you see this kind of small... I think I'll try and link to some pictures on the on the podcast notes. You see this kind of small unicellular organism. It's kind of a little bit like bean-shaped, like kind of like oval. And it has these kind of small, um, yeah, stones inside mm -hmm. it, basically, um, which seem to be some sort of... Um, I think it's calcium oh. carbonate, even, um, which is also kind of an interesting feature, apart from this... this clustered origin because there's not much known about cyanobacteria which contain calcium carbonate and we have a lot of interest in um species that are somehow able to to form these inorganic structures within them there's, there's a lot of like research into these because it has implications for um like nanotechnology and and things like that so this little glowio margarita is is kind of cool 
I heard a talk by the guy who basically discovered them. So it's David Moriera. Um, and they were discovered in an alkaline lake. So that lake is called Alchichicha, which is found in Mexico. Um, and just based on different genotyping, they now say, hey, this is probably the guy that's that's most close to plants. Um, but it has also some kind of cool implications because it's a freshwater species. Um, they're only found, it and all of its kind of relatives are only found in freshwater, which means that probably the endosymbiotic event occurred in freshwater, not mm-hmm. in, in seawater. Um, and most of them are thermophilic as well. So they live around 50 to 60 degrees, which also suggests that the ancestor of the plastid maybe was also thermophilic. Again, this is evolutionary biology, so it's all... We can't be certain on anything. It's all stuff that happened like literally 1.5 billion years ago. So, but um, yeah. And then based on its own habitat, we can also start to make some discussions about what its capabilities are and therefore what maybe the capabilities of the original cyanobacteria that's an endosymbiont was, which can also give us some ideas about why endosymbiosis happens. So maybe um, the original environment was these like, yeah, so um, that one of the one of the hypotheses, sorry, we currently have is that the original um, environment was oceans, which were nitrogen depleted. But now, if this is really the ancestor, then we know that it wasn't the oceans; it was found in freshwater. And we also know that um, members of this Gloeo margaritol they don't they aren't capable of nitrogen fixation, so that probably wasn't one of the original features. Mm-hmm. So we have kind of this information that could be. Um, really useful and another thing is that they were found in their environment to also be able to live in complex biofilm and mat communities which means they kind of already like specialized with like different layers because i know some prokaryotes do these sort of like proto-organism like structures where within a biofilm some of them sort of the outer edges are slightly different than the inner parts and so on i'm not really sure i think this was more the idea that they live in communities which are made up of many different species. And this is also really helpful because one of the problems with endosymbiosis is you have this cyanobacteria that was free living and then it got eaten but not consumed and then it ultimately became a, a, the chloroplast. But there's no reason for it once it's inside another organism to give up its carbon. So the idea yeah. is that it can photosynthesize, it should hand over the carbon to the source. And really this is not logical because no organism that is single-celled, makes carbon, and then throws it outside. Like, yeah. it's, it's pretty much its, its valuable asset. But if it's living in these mats, maybe it already had developed some sort of skill at sharing nutrients with its neighbors and, like, doing this kind of um, mutualistic relationship like we see in large mm-hmm. animals, like, um, yeah, I don't know, like the birds that pick off the bugs and then in yeah. response, I don't know. Maybe it had some sort of mutualism at this kind of single-cell um, level, and then maybe that also made it more prone to become... Then it was just like a small step to be actually engulfed comparatively yeah. as if they would be like one cell floating in the ocean and then just a prokaryote being eaten up and suddenly they're happy and staying together while, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like, this is all very up in the air. We have all, like, I mean, and honestly, even if this was the case that it was able to give stuff up, it's still a huge step to then going to be... What yeah. it, I mean, this is really a big thing and a lot of people think that there should also be a third player involved. It can't just happen with the the endosymbiont, the cyanobacteria and the host. There has to be somebody else who is helping like deal with this like trans anyway, it's all a bit like 
uh, speculation, but it's really interesting. I think yeah. it's it's cool, and I honestly hadn't heard about this. I had somehow like completely missed this, even though it came out. I think originally in 2014, so. Super cool. And again, it has these really cute little stones. And so far, they don't really know what the stones are for. Maybe they're deliberately just storing certain cations. So like positive, um, uh, positively ions. charged ions, um, like calcium 2+. plus. Um, maybe it's to buffer or some other. Like They're not really sure. But this is it seems like an interesting also field for study. So yeah, this is the guy. It's called Gloe Margarita. Um, what was the second name? Lithophora. So I will put a link to the, the original paper, I guess, on the website. Yeah, cool. Thank you. Yeah. So I today um, brought some non-white male person who was important for plant research. And I hope my level of tiredness um, still allows me to do her justice. Her name is Enid McRobbie. Um, and she has been at the forefront of studies for iron transport in plants, mm -hmm. especially across the uh, plasma membranes. And she was one of the first uh, women or first people to um, pioneer the, the use of radio tracers to measure fluxes across membranes. Okay. Um, so she was born in Edinburgh in Scotland in 1931. I was definitely going to guess that she was Scottish from the from, McRobbie. Uh, from yeah. the McRobbie, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um so that's also where she attended university in, in Edinburgh. And um, then she uh, studied physics. Uh, and uh, her uh, degree, is, it says here, she was awarded a first class honors in 1953. I'm not fully, I don't fully understand I mean, what that I mean, I got means. a first class honors. It's not super special. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm. So then anybody can get it really. <laughs> She's probably an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, uh, so she stayed in Edinburgh for her for PhD, um, but then changed to a different group. Um, and the f interesting little bit about this part of her biography here is that because it was the post-war times, um, she, here it says that uh, her group was part of the Department of Physics, but characteristically in this post-war years, she was accommodated in a converted chicken house behind the Department of Genetics. So she did her a lot of her very important work in like a converted chicken house. Um, and yeah, so she um, pioneered a lot about the, the fluxes across the plasma membrane. Hmm. And um, what, yeah, she, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm a little bit uh, tired and ill-prepared. But yes, yeah, so she had an international reputation, it says here, for... Um, for for her work that was very successful and uh, yeah a pioneer in biophysics in plants is it Enid e maybe Enid McRobbie yeah just to note she's still alive oh well done Enid or at least according to what I have she's 88 years old she was born in the 30s yeah that's why I wonder why I didn't write down way to survive the second this. date she is retired though which um yeah good um yeah. I don't approve people staying in their work forever yeah but yeah cool cool work well work well done Enid um important woman in plant research and now this is where the fun begins this is where the fun begins this is where the fun begins I honestly don't have very many fun facts this week um, sure. I think you should go first. I go Sorry, first. Sorry, I know with you've one. been talking the whole time already. 
It does. My people love my voice. I can't even see what I was looking at. All of at. the people writing and say like, Yoram, your voice is beautiful. Please talk more. <laughs> Which mm. is not true. Mm. Um, I found a story about um, how spiders fly in the electric field of the earth. Um, eh. So there, it has been known already for, I think, over 100 years. I think Dar Darwin was one of the... Uh, people already describing it that he was on a boat and uh, in the middle of the ocean and one morning the boat was covered in spiders that were not there the night before and that half that flew there that's terrifying and yeah that's that's especially for me as an arachnophobe it's quite terrifying this is good for um but we know it's now october we're now in halloween month yeah so they fly um they they fly around and sometimes over great distances and it was unknown how they do that because they yeah it's called ballooning but um, just wind could not explain how they could lift off and then travel long distances um, and so now some researchers did some tests and they figured out it's the electric field so the the earth and the atmosphere is actually a giant electric field there is the ground that's negative and um, the atmosphere that's positively charged and so there is a potential between the two. And the spiders have tiny hairs on their legs with, with, uh, that they can use to actually sense this electric field. And then uh, during thunderstorms or other weather events, the potential increases and it has, they could observe uh, spiders in the wild to then sort of lift up the abdomen um, and um, sort of distance themselves from the, from the negative ground. And then... Um, produce, I think on a spider silk, they have some negative charges that then sort of pushes them off the ground and they fly. And they could show that experimentally. They could they put spiders in a cage with no air movement in an electric field and the spiders were able to lift off from, like they, they climb the grass blades and from the glass, grass blades they lift off. That's ridiculous. Fly. No, they can... Spiders can fly is what you're saying. They can fly in the electric field, which I find really crazy. Could I fly in the electric field? If you would be much lighter, yeah, probably, or the electric field much stronger. Is that really true? If the electric field, or do I have to have like some sort of electrostatic hairs or something? Yeah, probably you could. You would have some. some Spiders are quite hairy. It's one of their key features, which makes yeah. them terrifying. I would say. Yeah, so it definitely has something to do with the with the hair. Um, but apparently it's a proper story. I found it on The Atlantic. Um, I can link to the article. I always really love the jumping spiders. Yeah. But I don't I don't think they could fly. Is it all spiders or is it just like a special species of spiders? Oh, here special they just always just say spider. So I don't know. But I guess it oh, must but be yeah, some the specific. Oh, yeah, the sensory hairs on their feet. They have sensory feet hairs. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and here they say it's um, it's like when you rub a balloon and it hold, hold it up to your hairs. This is how like the spider hairs can sense the electric field. And then they can climb up on grass blades and then sort of push themselves with like charge them like w like you rub um, a jumper on a, on a balloon. Yeah, so now I'm imagining somebody picking up like a tarantula, kind of rubbing it on a balloon and then like dropping it and it just like flies off like and he like probably like flaps his little arms like. so like very confused it's like what is happening um, yeah that's the spider flying sound so i yeah i found this terrifying but also very exciting <laughs> the knowledge super cute. um that they that they can fly um yeah so the article has some some 
more details but yeah the general gist is they control like they move within an electric field like it is nothing i have something on australia Yay. It's been a long time since we've like blatantly propaganded for Australia. Um, this is probably the best thing that you could ever have. So as you probably know, dear listeners, um, my fears in the world are crows, velociraptors, and apocalypse generally of the zombie kind. Like, <laughs> I'm not scared of spiders like Yoram. I'm mildly scared of pantry moths, but like... But at least the zombie ap- apocalypse is much less likely than being in in the same place as a spider. I'm now, I'm mostly scared of crows. I think they're like number one threat because they're just so smart and they seem a bit more realistic than the zombies, I'll be honest. Um, anyway, on I fucking love science, IFL science, for those of you who are scared of the fuck word, I don't know why, get over it. Um... I'm scared of the fucking word fuck. <laughs> There's a nice quote from Stephen Fry from ages and ages ago about like people who can be offended by the use of words like shit and fuck, but are okay with like all of all of the horrible things that are constantly happening, like starvation and things in the world. And I, I really, I mean, I wish I wish I could paraphrase it more eloquently than that, but yeah, this this to me is like my. He's a beautiful, beautiful man. Are you finding the quote for me? Mm. Uh, uh. the sort of tweet person who thinks and then the title is over and I have to click and it charges um, the sort of tweet person who thinks swearing is in any way a sign of lack of education or lack of verbal interest is just a fucking no lunatic. it's not that That's it's a bit it's, it's more about like yeah there are worse things in the world anyway <laughs> the short the short answer to that is no the long answer is fuck no it's also from him <laughs> okay I think we agree Stephen Fry is very great mm-hmm. um anyway on IFL science they now re- report something which came from um the University of Ontago in Wellington which I guess is in New Zealand um where they ranked um countries based on their best chance of surviving in a catastrophic pandemic so this is basically world war z where everybody becomes zombies the examples they used were like sars and zika and like disease x is what they called it but i think we know that disease x is actually disease z and that everybody's becoming zombies um yeah and as i clearly already spoiled, i think unsurprisingly given that australia has already a high like like high GDP we're self-sufficient in food and energy we're quite remote we're an island we win like objectively we're better would you want to survive a zombie apocalypse um who else is surviving with me is there still Netflix is chocolate available this this episode is actually brought to you by Lint Pflaumen and not, rum we're not getting chocolate. any money for this <laughs> it's not but I really like it I'm surprised I hate rum but like plum and rum Plum rum. Which actually rum, plum, plum. sounds better in English than in Germany. Yeah, Pflaume rum. rum. It's like Pflaume. Sounds stupid. Um, Get on that, Germany. Most yeah. of your words are better. Like Gurkha is objectively better than the word cucumber. I don't know. Cucumber reminds me of cute cumber, and that's cute. <laughs> that's true. Hello, who's a little cute cumber? <laughs> okay, sorry. Um, the point of this whole discussion was that Australia wins. We're after that New Zealand, and then. So this is out of one. So we get 70, 7.71. So we get 70%. New Zealand gets 68%. We get 71. They get 68. So suck it, New Zealand. We beat you. You're worse than us. But what if the kangaroos turn into zombies? 
Um, does not mention that, but they have a lot of sheep, so a sheep could also be a problem. I mean, there's a movie about that. Yeah, I've seen that movie. But there's also something about having sex with sheep in the movie, which is not ideal. Okay, <laughs> you have just shrugged then, guys. <laughs> Let's have a little more, like... This is one of those. There's, there's some situations when it's okay to just be silent, and there's other situations where you really need to verbally negate any statements, like racism, bigotry. It's not okay to just and be quiet. Fucking. And sheep fucking is really in one of those categories when it comes to any kind of bestiality. It's not Speak okay to up. just kind of like shrug and like move the conversation along. You have to be like, you know what, guys, maybe that's not a path for us to follow. I don't know if it's if the sheep is of age and consenting. Okay, so just let's get back to my point. <laughs> Australia, New Zealand, then Iceland not doing so well because they're not as good at making food, I think. Um, yeah, so after that, Malta, which is also the country of my people, we sat there, we squatted on that island for many generations before being kicked out and going to Egypt, where we also squatted for several generations before kick- being kicked out and going to Australia. Um, also Japan. What, what have you done? Like, your people must have been horrible that they were kicked out I think I think they voluntarily left Malta. I don't think they voluntarily left Spain before that. This is like my mom's family, so... Pretty sure they were kicked out of Spain. My grandfather blames the Spanish Inquisition, but they left like 200 years after that ended. So I think it's like, I think they just did something naughty after that. And then, I mean, getting kicked out of Egypt was like, they could have chosen to stay and become Egyptians, but they were like, no, we're British. We must leave and go to another British colony. And then they went to Australia and soon realized that that was horrible and there were only two types of cheese in Australia (laughs) and then thank god the Italians came to Australia and brought culture okay good story Malta Japan Cape Verde the Bahamas Trinidad and Tobago so you're saying there was no culture before in Australia what what do you the joke indigenous people they had no no I was talking about the British people in Australia where they had like roast beef and like sauce it's true compared to the British Italians have made more culture I just they I have just wanted definitely to comment, better, objectively better food. I just wanted to comment on on the notion of of finally the Italians brought culture to Australia. That I can't, no, to I, the British people in Australia. I think there's a joke about like the British occupation of Australia. And it's like, what's the difference between Australia and a pot of yogurt? If you leave a pot of yogurt in the sun for two hundred years, it develops the culture. But um. <laughs> And I think that's it's not una- inaccurate. Like <laughs> we've done fine. Okay. Um. Okay, the point is we win. I think that was the point. Okay. Australia wins. It's at IFL Science. Go check it out. Uh, my next fact is, <laughs> um, it's also very short. Um, it says, plants don't have feelings and aren't conscious, a biologist argues. It's, yeah, no shit. Yeah, but there's a notion like since two, 2011, there, has been, there have been some papers mm. published in peer-reviewed jour- journals, not bullshit journals, um, having weird experiments claiming that plants have a sort of nervous system and have a sort of ability to sense their surroundings in a way um, a nervous system would. Um, I mean, the definition is pain, right? Yeah, it's it's, uh, pain, but um, also other things, which I don't... The biologist here in in question, his name is uh, um, Lincoln Tice or Tace. And he's the one who's saying, hey guys, plants don't they don't have a consciousness. Get emotional. Because he says it's just, it makes no sense for plants to have a consciousness. Because they, like a consciousness helps you when you are an animal that's moving around, trying to eat things and 
not be eaten by other things mm. there you need like a fast system that's it's quite energy uh, uh, intensive otherwise plants would just always be terrified because they would be conscious of the fact that they're about to get eaten and it would just be really sad for them he says that even like even worse like um imagine a forest fire and his quote is it's unbearable to even consider the idea that plants would be sentient conscious being aware of the fact that they're being burned to ashes watching their saplings die in front of them yeah but it's also like not fun for the koala who's burning to death and conscious that he's burning to death so I'm not sure if that's the best argument but a koala could move away and if he doesn't he's just not from a forest have you seen a koala move like not from a forest fire they're not evolved for out I don't believe in small animals run the fuck out of a forest fire I I don't believe in animals that are too slow to run uh, outrun danger outrun fire if an animal can't beat fire in a fight in like a race then I have no sympathy for it like it can it i i don't want to actively kill them but i have no sympathy but i will set a fire and see if they survive (laughs) if i did that to your child like he couldn't outrun a fire it's not fully developed like i'm not saying koala (laughs) babies i'm saying full-grown koalas do you think you could outrun a a fire really i could could outrun a forest fire if i see a forest fire in a distance it's you have this really bizarre german understanding of what a fire is i think i think you've never actually seen fire as a real like your people tamed the fire a long time ago but my people are in constant fear that a fire will take over our country I, don't know, I slow animals like I recently like in Berlin in the Berlin Zoo. Um, uh, pandas were born. Pandas were born, and um, Hong and Kong, according my, to some political <laughs> commentaries. My 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 wife is following the Instagram of the zoo quite co- closely, and she's telling me stories about it. How hard it is to keep these panda babies alive. No, I absolutely agree that pandas should be killed. Pandas are absolutely incapable of just caring for their own young. Like they don't. She they gave give birth to two panda babies and they hardly have enough milk for one they are um, and then the pandas themselves cannot digest milk because they're not evolution. yeah they because of the bamboo diet that's so low in calories they have a big trouble in making enough milk for their babies um they female pandas are often like fake pregnant so it's really hard to tell for like if they're actually <laughs> pregnant or fake pregnant um and there's just like a ton of problems and these zookeepers they are these like trained specialists they flew people in from china to take care of the babies and they're doing a shit ton of very complicated stuff just to keep like the offspring alive because the pandas are so extremely incapable of doing that themselves look yarm and i absolutely believe in conservation we think it's terrible that species are dying out because of human intervention but that's not true for pandas. Pandas should go now. We've sequenced their yeah. genomes. Fuck off. You're useless. Like, they, they, yeah, they're really trying hard not to make it. They don't even know how to have sex. Like, if you're an animal... I mean, if they could bud or, like, divide by fission, more power to them. But if you're, like, an animal that can only breed sexually but has no feelings... Like, every single panda that has ever existed is asexual, which, again, fine not okay as an entire species that every single <laughs> member of your species is asexual if your only breeding method is going to be sexual reproductive yeah reproduction like yeah. absolutely ridiculous and we had um a while back as one of our institute um like activities we had like a, a special i think a summer party or something and we had to do sp- um kind of small science slams and i did mine on lobsters my group was talking about how lobsters are just 
the best. They live forever. Nobody has ever proved that a lobster has ever died. It hasn't happened. All lobsters that ever existed still exist, except for the ones you ate. So really, like, if lobsters died, it's your fault you killed the lobsters. There's a different topic. Another group um, made up, this group was made up of entirely Spanish people, which added to the cuteness, was discussing pandas and basically every adaptation that most herbivorous species have to, like, better teeth, the right like um, microflora in their gut, the length of their cecum or their large intestine, all of these things the pandas don't have. Like they think they should be like vicious flesh-eating animals, except that they cannot catch flesh. And if you give them tuna, like in a sandwich, they will not know what to do with it. Trust me, I've tried. I went to the zoo. I had a tuna sandwich. The pandas, I mean, the panda was dead at the time, so that was also awkward. They didn't know what to do with the tuna. There was another story. My cousin was, my cousin came from Australia and we went to look at the panda at the zoo and we turned the corner and there was just like a big picture of a panda and it was like, this is now dead. We're sorry. We apologize for the inconvenience. Where do you go? I don't um, know. If, yeah, if you're a species, you have no will to survive, no will to make it then why should we put so much energy in on the other hand if anything is a a symbol of the the strength and tenacity of the chinese government it's not their military force it's the fact that they keep pandas alive yeah. like that's like the pinnacle like pandas do their best to die out and the chinese government is like no stay alive <laughs> stay alive and somehow they've managed to keep them alive and also making new pandas which also, have you seen a baby panda? Like, I'm not surprised that a mother panda looks at that and is like, fuck you, I'm not looking after that. That looks like a jelly bean. <laughs> like, I could eat that maybe because I might be able to digest jelly beans, even though I can't digest grass and or milk. But I'm not looking after that as my offspring. <laughs> like, it's ridiculous. Okay. <laughs> so much for... <laughs> panda ran over. <laughs> Pandas, uh, you're stupid. If, you're, if any pandas are listening, we want you to know you're ridiculous. Get your shit together. Hashtag no panda. Uh, uh, do you have another fun fact, Tegan? I have something small. I think probably everybody's seen it by now because it is beautiful and brilliant. But somebody posted a video of octopus dreaming. Yeah. Which is just a picture of like an octopus in somebody's aquarium. Um, and he's just changing colors. You know, the octopus, octopi, octopode. Um can change colors to like camouflage with their environment and this guy he's just like sitting on the glass so like he doesn't need to change color but he's obviously like having like sweet little dreams and he like changes to it's very cute i don't know why dreaming animals are so extremely cute but also when my cats are sleeping and in a dream the the paws do like the little twitching and um, the mouth does the little biting actions and so it's just so extremely cute yeah let's let's be realistic here though when it like comparing your cat to an octopus is bullshit your cat is dumb as fuck and an octopus is a genius that's true like they can open doors yeah my cats can't they wouldn't because they would just go like in between the non-existent gap in the door or possibly through the keyhole because they can do that they pretty much become smoke move through solid objects and then like reform again but your cats can't do that so are you afraid of octopi as well as I, you are of crows I think they're one of the only non-bird, non-mammal organisms that use tools. So they've been shown to like um, study, uh, to, to carry coconut shells on their back and use them to hide under and they can like use tools and they can do all these like really... And they can open jars and yeah. stuff. And pretty much if you have an octopus pet, like 
I don't know, it's going on your laptop and looking at porn while you sleep. Like they can get out of their tank for sure, but they also know your security passwords. Like this is just objectively a scientific Completely fact. different type of tentacle porn. <laughs> it's okay. I mean, it's going to be hard for you to explain at the office, but <laughs> it's actually okay because that's what they like. Like it's okay that they like that because that's what they like. It's okay if anybody likes that. We're, we're pro any fetish here, but um, it's just normal for him. It's like... Well, within the bell curve. Anyway, <laughs> I think they're really cool. I think I'm not as scared of them. They seem rarer. They seem like if I had a hairdryer, I could combat them by just like drying the fuck out, like desiccating those suckers. And also I eat them. I don't eat crows. So I feel like I'm still superior because they're not eating me, but I'm eating them. Yeah, that's true. I think the octopus the, is delicious. I hate squid, but octopus is delicious. I think the ratio of like humans that eat octopuses versus the ratios of octopus that eat humans, it's still much in the human favor. And there's still like the the giant octopuses that are rumored, like the mythological creatures that sure, but pull it's down like ships. it happened one time in the the 1500s, and somebody wrote about it in a book. It's not a daily event. I'm pretty sure crows are regularly eating people. That's all I'm saying. Ravens, kookaburras, magpies, they're all kind of together. And also, like, you don't have to be in the ocean, really, um, to survive, but... Octopus yeah. can, can survive out of the ocean, but he can't survive a hairdryer. That's and my Also, like, we're pretty instinct. far away from the ocean here. Like, I don't believe that an octopus can, like, jump out of the, like, Northern Sea or the Baltic Sea and then, like, make its way to Berlin and then also kill me. Yeah, but the spree is lousy with those fuckers. They're just, like, swarming. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? <laughs> I've heard the octopus can actually fly um, using the electromagnetic field. <laughs> they don't have hair. <laughs> they, just, they have these little suckers. And they <laughs> so my, my next fact is, um, it's also a short fact, and somehow we are very about reproduction today. My fact is about babies were fed animal milk about 3,000 years ago from specialized bottles. There was this story... <laughs> um, um, is it a here? breast no no these are like they found these like weird pots they look like vases or one of them like, is legitimately a chicken yeah they were they were animal shaped as well from time to time and they had like these tiny pouts with like very small holes and people uh, wondered for a long time um, what this is about and now they did some um, molecular analysis on them and they found traces of milk in them which uh, led them to believe that these are pots used to feed babies animal milk Okay. Um, because these uh, the, the shape and everything works perfectly to put it in a baby's mouth and to feed them milk with it, which um, yeah gives us the information that already like three thousand years ago, um, babies were fed animal milk, which mm -hmm. is um, yeah if you think about it, not that common or like not that straightforward as an idea. Like if you uh, as as a mother you would think that you give them breast milk. And only then with like, I don't know, industrialization or like certain civilization, civilization little steps that you start thinking about, hey, maybe um, can we have other like foods for the child? But apparently already 3,000 years ago, they were already like, okay, let's give them like, like um, um, I mean, maybe muck cow milk or, or goat milk or, or something like maybe that. Maybe muck this as a little point on the podcast to check, but maybe to you it doesn't seem that logical. Like, it's like, oh, it's a bit of a stretch to give them cow milk. But I'm pretty sure like, five seconds into the first feeding that your wife had to give your baby she was like you know what maybe i can pass this off to some other animal this is not fun and it hurts like maybe yeah. we can find a cow like maybe a peacock maybe something exotic to get like a really posh baby but like let's give somebody else this job yeah yeah i mean the researchers know that um 
um, cow milk or, in or goat milk would not meet the nutritional needs of a baby the way like breast milk or modern formula does. Mm. But it could be but a supplement. But it might stop her from dying, yeah. It could have been a supplement um, during weaning um, and so on. So yeah, first baby bottles um, discovered. That's a fact. That's a fact. <laughs> That's a your... thing we can't deny. Uh. <laughs> um, I have a few more, but I, we don't have to go through all of them. Do you have something else? Uh, I have nothing else. We can do a couple more, though, I think. Um, I can just, like, obnoxiously comment on your facts. That could be my job. <laughs> I have also a very uh, a short one. They did another, like, new material where they cultured tobacco cells uh, in cell culture and then pressed and desiccated the cells into uh, molds. And with that, they could have a very dense and very tough biomaterial that can that is compostable um, but also structurally very strong uh, comparable to like polymers and other like um, plastics um, which is a cool thing it's on bioarchives um, um, yeah an interesting short paper about this like new biomaterial that could replace some other materials in the future uh, then I think you have to give a cat fact uh, yeah, I can end on the cat fact. I think I, I'm sorry, I have nothing else. I mean, I'm I'm looking now at something about Tasmanian devils, but like, I shouldn't be reading the facts as we do the podcast. No. So that's, that's like less professional no. than even average. I think I, I I have one that I keep for next week, and mm -hmm. let's end on a cat fact, which is not exactly a cat fact. You'll see how it relates to cats in a moment. Don't we have a jingle for this year? <laughs> yeah, play the jingle. It's really like it's an anti-jingle, if anything. <laughs> No, I thought we cat fact. <laughs> I thought we had that. This is a very nice cat fact. <laughs> that is after the cat fact. Oh my goodness! Okay, there are rules. Um, so Yerm the has title rules. is um, it's a it's a research paper. Um, it's called an experimental test of ovulatory homolog model of female orgasm, mm -hmm. and it talks In about cats. it talks about the fact that. Um, a female organism is a female orgasm. A female it's organism. hard. It's a literally like why every biology class in like sixth grade, everybody was in hysterics because they thought that the teacher was saying like orgasm every time they said organism. A female orgasm, it's strictly, it's just not necessary, right? Like we all know that it's useless. I get so much hate mail. I just hope that like they come for you and they come for your penis. It's just something... I, I, don't, I, I don't even think it exists. No. <laughs> <laughs> this man has I've a child. Seen, I've never seen one happen. Oh my uh, God. You need to put a You need to like check with your wife. It's okay. You say these disgusting things. <laughs> no, the, the, the thing is like from a biological standpoint, it, it's puzzling because... No, but I have heard studies that say if the female orgasms, there might be more success in fertilization because it, the contractions might help bring the sperm deeper into the that uterus. Was one, that was one thing that was... Um, uh, hypothesized in the past but um so far but the men's rights activists just won't let you hear apart but um <laughs> no but, but like in many mammals um yeah it's it's not necessary to have a female orgasm apart from like the uh, in contrast to the male <laughs> orgasm that is necessary to have like the sperm and then fertilize the egg cell mm -hmm. and so they wondered for a long time how that can be um, but now there has been a study done on um, rabbits, but also on cats. That's how this, it's, it's a cat fact, um, where they could show that ovulation only happens 
when the animal has an orgasm. What? Um, and that's due to the fact that the clitoris there is is located inside the vagina, apart from like other animals like man, uh, like humans, where <laughs> the clitoris is Tell outside. Tell me where the clitoris is, <laughs> Show me on this diagram. <laughs> Um, so uh, where then the in the clitoris in these animals in rabbits and cats it's uh, stimulated during intercourse and that triggers an ovulation and therefore then only then the fertilization of the egg cell can happen that's a and much could, better system and they could finally show that and then during evolution um, in some animals like humans the clitoris sort of um, slowly Wandered Just outside, wandered away. <laughs> moved outside and became not necessary anymore, not essential anymore for fertilization. And also the um, the animals and humans got on a like more regular cycle than before. Like mm-hmm. like for cats, they don't have this um, this regular cycle, this monthly cycle. So they rely on sort of the, the stimulation of the clitoris during intercourse to trigger ovulation. So we've discussed this like as a working group because this is what we discuss at lunch in our work. Um, it sucks as a woman that we have to ovulate like once a month and therefore have our periods once a month. So just our, have your clitoris inside. I mean, it's it's not necessarily has but like our uterus builds up and then flows out. So what you're saying is not only do cats get to have fun every time they have sex. I mean, they get to come every time they have sex as a woman. A female cat, I think, is more appropriate <laughs> than a woman. Um, <laughs> but also, they don't have to have their periods like every month. This yeah. is like the only problem is, I guess, you get less horny. Most of the rest of the time. Yeah, but cats also, that's unrelated to the orgasm thing, um, can be pregnant and already um, fertilize the next generation. So they can be sort of double pregnant. They can have uh, an embryo forming while Mm. they have like a close term, like close to term pregnancy. That's a bit disgusting. I don't think Um, we want like... um, But yeah. So this is now the first sort of experimental uh, proof or further insight of how the female orgasm evolved, what its function used to be in some animals, and why it still is around in other animals or in humans. What's what's their reason for it to like just to bug it off in in humans? That seems like very it's, unfair. That it, just seems yeah, like it's, it's it's unfair. But I guess the reg- more regular cycle helps with um, like other fitness aspects. Like I understand that, but that doesn't mean you can't have an orgasm for the cycle. To ha- like you can still say. It doesn't happen every month, but then at least you can still have an orgasm, Tegan. That's the thing. Like you could have so also can lost cats, that. Yoram. So can cats. But like evolution. You're saying I'm been... not better than a cat. No, evolution... in fact, I'm worse than a cat. Evolution could I don't have, have been even, even worse to you by not only moving the clitoris out of the vagina, but also disabling the orgasm altogether because it's not strictly necessary anymore. So at least that was kept. So I would be thankful. (laughs) No, but I mean, like in the current situation, there's not much incentive for the male human to get the female to orgasm, right? Like, yeah, it's not necessary. It's absolutely (laughs) biologically speaking, it's not necessary. (laughs) Yeah, and this seems a little bit unfair. It's unfair, like little, just a little bit. Like apart from all the other things I want to complain about from a biological viewpoint I would love to pee standing up like let's look into that women peeing standing up is like the next step on evolution um that seems a little bit unfair it it absolutely is unfair how do we go back to this cat-like state As and I said, will we get whiskers surgical relocation of the clitoris I think it's really hard to chop something off and move its location without like really affecting its sensitivity also the clitoris is much larger than I mean that's also been known now I think Iceberg since the like 90s or something 
but um yeah it's not ju- like it's not just the outside part you see it's like a 10 centimeter long organ that's like it's extends an and so on it's an iceberg yeah it's an iceberg so it's really hard to relocate an iceberg like that yeah um that yeah. seems kind of invasive yeah um my last thing about this is like where was this published journal of cat science in penis Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. PNAS um, proceedings of the National Academy of Science, of, of course. Yeah, we're sorry. It's oh, I've lost the microphone. <laughs> <You're> so frustrated <laughs> that you turn off the microphone. We're sorry. It's really your own fault for naming your journal like yeah. this. Yeah. Uh, so it's really helped them. If anything, it's been very positive as a branding experience. I would say. I think. Yeah. 90% of people in journal club present penis papers just so they can say this is a penis paper. And I should really lean into it, I think. No, I honestly, I like the way that the the articles are written generally. I find like yeah. I quite like how short they are and how they like they have a nice story. Yeah. So we link to that article and all the other things that we discussed in the show notes below. Um, if you are a listener and you had an orgasm, please write Oh in. my God, no. <laughs> if no, you don't. currently feel sexually harassed by your arm, please write in. Um, yeah uh, <laughs> I don't know send all is. hate mail to Yaram Schwarzman at I don't know whether <laughs> plantsandpipettes.com yeah okay Please. we're on all the social media please follow us we're on Facebook and Instagram at Plants and Pipettes uh, on Twitter we are at Plants Pipettes we also have a website it's www.plantsandpipettes.com that's where we write blog articles every Monday and Wednesday um, yeah and I wanted to reference an article, but I think it was already last episode. So if you listen to last episode where we talked about culture scene, um, go to our website. There's a good article. Naked ladies and cats. Cats and naked ladies. Again, fitting the sort of theme of this episode. The general conversation between me and Yaron where I was like, I don't want to make our thing too clickbaity. And also, by the way, what about naked ladies? Mm -hmm. Well done. Yeah. um, Where we talk about culture scene and how it was discovered and what's its use. And so on, you find that on our website, amongst many other cool articles. Every time I try to think of culture scene, I think like this Coachella, this like, <laughs> I get very confused and then I just can't say it. But Coachella is not the one in the desert, right? That's Burning Man. That's Burning Man. Yeah. Maybe Coachella is also in the desert. They always look quite summery. But yeah. no, it's a musical festival. Yeah. It's not... not We're not cool me. enough to know. We're not allowed in. Um... And uh, yeah, write us on iTunes. That would help us a great lot. Yeah, feel free to give us any feedback. Um, tell your arm to s- mention stop, things. Stop. Just, <laughs> just, <laughs> just like, write like in all caps. Stop. Yeah, I mean, anybody who writes onto the Twitter, dear Yoram, please stop. I will. You'll be my hero. You'll get a mention <laughs> on next week's podcast. I promise you. Um, but apart from that, like seriously, any comments, any improvements, <laughs> any tell us your favorite plant if you want us to um, mention it. If you know of some really cool research that you want us to to look into, mention or or do a blog if if we're interested. We're not going to make any commitments now because yeah. we are lazy. Um, like we're feel lazy. free to send shit at us and we can have a look into it and maybe do a blog post. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's it. And our opening closing music is Caravana by Philip Gross. Goodbye. Thank you, Philip.